what is up welcome back welcome back to the podcast it's your host amaka how are you all doing i hope well and um as always i'm sending love light strength all good things if you might need just a little bit more of that today or this week um I'm coming to you with a sore shoulder. (laughs) I just took some Tylenol. I don't know if I went a little bit too hard on my workouts this weekend. I'm a big fan of the Peloton app. I don't have any of the like equipment or machinery like the tread or the bike. Although I'm not averse to purchasing it. It's just not like urgent for me right now. But I am a huge, huge fan of their app. And I got it for free with my old job last year. But when I left, I still had it for a few more months. But then that benefit expired and I have been just paying for it on my own. And I think it's worth the money. If anyone is curious, I'm a big fan of their hikes. And I'm a big fan of Kirsten Ferguson and her hikes. I love her Sunday hikes. I love the walk and runs, like the interval walk and run programs and love the meditations love the stretches love the yoga like I actually just invited my mom to the app yesterday because if you invite someone they get a two-month kind of like free trial so I was just kind of raving about it to her and she was like okay yeah I'm definitely gonna try it and um so I invited her so I hope she likes it too but yeah I don't know if I went a little too hard with the workouts this weekend. I did an hour on the treadmill yesterday, and within that hour, I did the one of the 45-minute hikes that are cheered by Kirsten Ferguson. In like the 1% chance that she encounters this podcast, I am a huge, huge fan of you, and you are my favorite instructor. <laughs> I love her so much. I love her energy and her attitude and she just like pushes you in the right way. And yeah, I'm a big fan. So yeah, I had a little trouble sleeping last night because of this shoulder. When I woke up, I took some Tylenol. I'm feeling a little bit of relief. So I'm going a little slower this morning, but I, um, I'm getting it done. I have to get it done. <laughs> I have to get this podcast done just means that I'm going a little slower, but it's okay. Yeah, so as far as things are going for me, they're going well right now. If you asked me this maybe five days ago, I probably (laughs) would start crying. And that's because on Wednesday, I was in the middle of seeing a patient and I got a text The text came up on my screen on my laptop and my landlord told me that one of her old neighbors called her so that she could let me know that my car was broken into. So that was a shock. I was in the middle of a patient visit and thankfully we were on the tail end of the visit. So I I I scheduled her follow up and I ended the call and I had about 15 minutes. So I ran outside, my husband ran outside and... (laughs) We were met with shattered glass all over the ground, shattered glass in my back seat. And um, I drive a Hyundai. So 
I don't know if folks are familiar with this heinous TikTok trend where these self-claimed, self-titled Kia boys, it started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They figured out that some, many Kia and Hyundai models, if you kind of like break open the ignition, there's a way to hotwire the car with a USB cable. So... I saw this trend from New York and I was a little nervous about what would happen because I'm moving to the Midwest and this started in like maybe 2021 or something or 2022. So it has since spread like it's happening all over the country. So I was nervous about that, but we moved into a pretty quiet, like onto a pretty quiet street in like a quieter part of where we live in Chicago. So I honestly, I wasn't really worried. First week went by, second week went by, like a whole month went by, like nothing. And two weeks, maybe not two weeks, like three weeks after getting to Chicago, I went to the Hyundai dealership and they fitted my car with some anti-theft locks or whatever. I'm not sure exactly what they did, but this has become such a big issue that Hyundai has had to offer some resources and some like support to their consumers because I'm sure they're seeing like it impact their sales. So I got a letter when I was in New York that I was eligible for anti-theft, I don't know, support to add to my car. So I made the appointment for when we got to Chicago And I got it done. That was like three weeks after we moved. And then almost three weeks later, my car was broken into. And the sight of it, just like coming outside and seeing my car was so jarring, you know, that I started to cry. My my, um, husband was trying to like, you know, redirect me like he was like, your car is still here. Like I, I get that what you're looking at right now is is really tough to see and I think they like tamper with my camera because I have a camera in my car and it records everything after like maybe a month or so it'll dump some of the footage if nothing significant happened but like everything from that weekend up until like earlier that week was still there and that night when it was tampered with nothing was there so I don't know but yeah I really appreciate my husband's support because he was kind of just bringing me back from where I was emotionally, like just so like up there because I'm just like, I can't believe this happened. You know, I I kind of got lulled into, I guess, a false sense of safety. I'm not sure because we had been there in Chicago for six weeks and my car was fine. And I thought we lived on a quiet street. Like there's nothing that would bring about any attention or anything like that but lo and behold this happened so you know he was just trying to like remind me that my car is still here my car actually was able to turn on so the damage was cosmetic but you know in the grand scheme of things I'm one of the lucky ones because you know if I didn't have that anti-theft support added to my car they probably could have just stolen it and then I would have come outside on that Wednesday, getting ready to go to the gym and my car would be gone. And I would be like, shit out of luck, like just completely, like, what do I even do? Um, But they weren't able to steal it. So, you know, after kind of coming down from where I was emotionally and my husband, you know, like 
helping me in that process. Thankfully, I had a break. I had a few hours break in between my work. So I made some calls. I got a police report and I was able to take it to the mechanic and they were able to fix the ignition console that they broke open, um, but they weren't able to hotwire the car, thank God. And um, they fixed my glass, my, they fixed my back window and, you know, got rid of all the glass and everything. It wasn't cheap. I paid a pretty penny. But as far as I know right now, Hyundai and Kia, they're like in court or something and are about to settle or have settled. So I called Hyundai corporate and the guy who I spoke to was so like sympathetic and understood that this was so like traumatic. And he was like, you know, I hate that this is happening. This is what I advise you to do. He was like, whatever you pay for out of pocket, keep those receipts. You will very, very highly likely have the chance to reimburse, get reimbursed for whatever you pay out of pocket. So rest assured, I have all the receipts for whatever I have paid for for my car after this incident. So, yeah, that was very, very tough to deal with on that Wednesday. I just really appreciate that my husband was home because he was working from home that day because I feel like I would have unraveled so much more. I I wouldn't have been able to think as quickly enough to do what I need to do. I feel like I would have probably canceled my the rest of my morning <laughs> with my patients. But I had in the in the time that we like went downstairs to look at the car and see what to do, I had like 15 minutes and I had my phone in my hand and I was really thinking of just canceling the rest of my morning. I had like maybe three more people to see. And he was like, I know you are struggling right now, but you need to get it together. And I was like, how am I going to see my patients? How am I going to do this? He was like, you have to dig deep right now. And, you know, 15 minutes, like there's no way I could cancel. It is an emergency. But, you know, if I can if I can dig deep and find a little sliver of strength to just get through the rest of my morning, he definitely helped encourage me to do that. So we went back upstairs I was still crying, but I, you know, kind of like wiped my tears, got myself together enough. And, you know, I was, it took a lot more effort to stay focused on the visits with the patients, but I got through it. I got through it. It was about an hour and a half or so. And then I had a four hour break. So within that four hour break, I made my calls. I called Hyundai corporate. Um, I called it on emergency line, got the police report. And I was able to take the car to the mechanic and they were able to repair the window, repair the ignition console. And I picked my car up the next morning. So as far as, as far as, you know, where we are with things right now, my car is, it's not a hundred percent because there are still like, there are little things like my, my car does not respond to my key anymore. Like, you know, I could press the button and unlock the car. I could press the button and unlock my my trunk. I think because it was broken into, the computer in the car is like out of whack. And now my car is not responding to my key. But um, I'm actually visiting family right now. And when I get back in town, the mechanic was like, just bring the car back. I will fix it for you. And I was like, are you going to remember me? He's like, yeah. So I was like, okay, trust and believe I will be back. Um. 
So yeah, it still stings. It still stings, but not nearly as much as it did on the day that it happened or even the day after. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm home with family. Like I was able to kind of get away from the, <laughs> from the quote unquote scene of the crime and just kind of, you know, create some distance both physically and in terms of time with the incident. Although I do have a concern that if it happened once, it can happen again. But I think my landlord is going to let me park in the garage. So that's really going to be helpful with, you know, safety. And it really sucks. It really, it really sucks. Like I said, I'm definitely in a better place now than I was last week. But I'm just like, dang, dang. And it's still happening to people. Like I went on TikTok and just searched to see what information I can find in addition to kind of looking online. And people are still getting hit by these dumb ass I don't even know what to call them. I don't know what to call them. They're just wreaking havoc, you know, on innocent people who are just trying to live their lives and work an honest living and, you know, do good and do their best. And then you come outside and your car is missing or they weren't able to steal it, but you're still, your car has still sustained significant damage. So I don't know, man, like... It's just tough. And in the, you know, in the slightest chance that maybe someone who's been impacted by this is listening, like I am, I feel you. I feel you. I'm right there with you. I'm angry with you. I'm pissed with you. Um, I hope this stops. I don't know when it will, but I hope it stops. And yeah, that's all I have to say really about that. I'm glad to be on the other side, I'm glad to still have my car. I'm glad it still runs, you know, as far as the major important things are concerned. But I know there are people that are not as, um, that were not able to come out on the other side like me. So I'm really thinking about those people right now. And I am not thinking happy thoughts towards the people that committed these crimes to us. So yeah, I think that's it. I don't want to dwell on this anymore. <laughs> This is supposed to be a positive podcast, but, you know, life is not always positive and it's not really about as as hard as things can be and as difficult as situations can be and how they test you. You know, it's a reminder that if you have support, you know, that is a blessing, you know, having my husband be able to kind of support me emotionally and practically in those moments. And after that, I really appreciate and, you know, kind of just being able to come out on the other side is a blessing as well. Um, and I know that people that were not as, that were more negatively impacted by this thing that's going on. So I'm really thinking about you all. I'm praying for you guys. And yeah, I think I'm going to end. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking about this because it's just so annoying and it just angers me. But yeah, that's it. Appreciate you guys listening to that rant. But yeah, that's that's real life. That's real life. So I'm going to move on to something more positive. And I am a big fan of Ari Lennox, who is an R&B singer. A good friend of mine and I went to see her. Was it in March? I don't remember. It was earlier this year. We went to see her in Connecticut because she, I think, just wrapped up her tour she had like a tour all over the country and some dates in Europe, some shows in Europe. And I think she's wrapped. But she 
um, is amazing. I have loved her music since our first album, Shea Butter Baby, and just really appreciate her as a woman, a black woman, a human being. And I think my love for her just like grew times 10 when she posted this Instagram caption with some photos of herself and it talks about her being sober from alcohol. So I'm going to read it. Um, She posted this six days ago. Um, So Ari writes, seven months sober. That's a lot of sober flights, a lot of sober conversations, a lot of facing things raw and head on. Honestly, I don't know what will happen when I reach a year sober. Don't know if sobriety is forever or not but I can't imagine going back to how things were. Passing out in the airport or having my emotions more heightened than needed. SMH, shit was bad. I feel more in control of my emotions, more stable, more happy, more alert, more safe, more accepting of things I can control and more responsible with things I can. I have less anxiety socially and when I'm ready to go, I go. I recognize my threshold with things and implement boundaries. I don't find interest in partying anymore. Maybe I'm changing and that's deeper than alcohol. I like doing chill, sweet things. I'm a chill bitch, I realized. Accepting help and realizing I'm not the best traveler on my own has been a game changer. So now I have help and that helps. Having help is okay. I like waking up with no hangover or embarrassment. I like waking up with no night terrors and panic attacks from liquor. I'm so raw, feeling everything in this world, and my coping mechanisms are only healthier now. It's nice to be present. Sobriety is a very present experience. Also, I have no ass in long over a year. (laughs) Just casually communicating this to the universe. But yeah, sure, there's the fantasy of wanting to escape all the intense stress of the world with alcohol because boy, does it work temporarily. But there's the moment the liquor stops numbing and you're chasing that feeling to no avail and you wake to see the problems of life still there. So anyway, anybody out there also sober? What have you learned on your journey? Love you all so much. She posted this a week ago and... One of my good friends posted it on her stories, so I followed it, and then I read the caption, and I was just like, oh, Ari, oh, Ari, I didn't know I could love you more. I'm just really proud of her, just as a person and as someone in this space who works with people who struggle with addiction and, you know, kind of like, from my perspective, seeing how it impacts them personally, how it impacts them interpersonally with people, with family, with friends. And, you know, not saying that alcohol is bad, but everything is to be enjoyed in moderation. And life is hard. I do not discount that. Um, You know, people can judge folks for looking towards alcohol or looking towards drugs or looking towards sex or looking towards gambling or looking towards social media for escape because life is hard. And life has gotten It feels like it's gotten particularly hard over the past few years, like harder than usual. So, you know, I don't fault anyone. I don't blame anyone. I don't judge anyone for whatever escapes that they look for from real life. But, you know, you can't escape forever. You can't escape forever. And I really 
applaud folks who kind of come to that place of truth for themselves and are like, okay, what am I going to do? Because I can't do this forever. And I think from what I read from that caption from Ari, sounds like at a point she got to, you know, a juncture where she was just like, am I going to just do this forever? Like, I feel like shit, you know, the alcohol gives an escape temporarily, you know, because I'm trying to avoid certain truths. Things are hard and everything, but it sounds like she got to a point where she's like, I can't do this anymore. And she made some changes. And I love her for that. You know, it sounds like she's so much happier. It sounds like she's so much healthier. It sounds like she's so much more in tune with herself and just feels whole as a person or is getting to a place of wholeness as a person. I really appreciate that she is more aware of her boundaries. You know, when she's like, she is better around people now, but when it's time to go, she goes, you know? She doesn't overextend herself. She doesn't overexert herself. She knows what her limits are, or she's getting to know what her limits are, and she's acting on those limits. You know, she talks about where her where she falls short or where she needs support. She's not afraid for asking. She's not afraid to ask for help anymore, which I think is amazing. And she mentioned that having help helps, and it does. Having help helps. Sometimes it takes a while to put together a support system that you can depend on. But if you're able to do that, it honestly means the world. It can mean life or death sometimes. So, you know, I've just read this caption and I have thought about it at least a few times, you know, since I've read it. And she sparked a conversation in her comments where people were sharing their journey with sobriety. And it just fills up my heart. It just fills up my heart because I feel like you know, our generation, millennials, Gen Z, things are harder for us. But I think because of that, we are trying to prioritize our mental health more. And we are trying to see what things we can control in our life that maybe, you know, are not necessarily good habits that we can reduce or eliminate. Um, One of those things for a lot of people, it seems is alcohol use. I've seen some like news and some like anecdotal information around millennials and Gen Z just drinking less alcohol. One reason being there are just more options, you know, in terms of seltzer and like really good non-alcoholic options. But I recently read like beer sales are down, like beer is not as popular with our generations as they are with like older generations like Gen X and boomers. And people are just becoming a little bit more aware of the effects of alcohol short and long term, you know, I, I wouldn't say anything is going to happen to you if you have a drink every now and then, like once a month or something, or even once a week. But regular alcohol consumption has a negative effect physically and mentally and emotionally. And there's really no way around it. So like I said, you know, everything in moderation, including alcohol, if you choose to be abstinent, that's amazing. Um, if you choose to have some alcohol, that's okay too. But it it's to the point where if it gets to the point where like you can't function without it or you use it as a chronic consistent means of escape, then I think that's you're at a place where you have to really do some inner reflection and decide is this the direction I want to continue to go down and do I need some help? 
you know, and there's no shame in realizing that and finding help. You know, I'm kind of in that, not kind of, I'm in that field. I see people regularly who struggle with alcohol addiction and seek medication support and seek therapeutic support. And there's no shame in that, you know, there's a stigma there, but I think it's lessening. I think our generation is just more concerned about getting help and inspiring people to do that if they're open to it. So I really appreciate Ari just being open and honest about this. She didn't have to. She didn't have to share anything, but I can on, I can understand her wanting to share this with people because she must be so proud. Like she said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I reach a year sober. And I hope she provides an update. Obviously, she doesn't have to, but I hope she provides an update when she hits that milestone. And like I said, she has sparked a conversation in the comments of people talking about their sobriety journey, you know, it ranges from a few days to years. So there are people out there who the, the post definitely resonated with. And, you know, if anything, drew inspiration and motivation to keep going. So Ari, in the 1% chance that you hear this podcast clip, I love you. I celebrate you. I support you. I am rooting for you. And yeah, it's only it's only up from here. Love you so much. Love you so much. You're amazing. So continuing on, I wanted to highlight at the end of this podcast episode, the next chapter in All About Love by Bill Hooks. So We've discussed the intro, we've discussed chapter one, and we've discussed chapter two, which have focused on different, you know, parts. Um, And chapter three focuses on honesty and truth and how important truth and honesty is important to cultivating love. And I want to begin by highlighting a quote in chapter three earlier on in the chapter where Belle writes, Lots of people learn how to lie in childhood. Usually they begin to lie to avoid punishment or to avoid disappointing or hurting an adult. Many of us can vividly recall childhood memories where we courageously practiced the honesty we had been taught to value by our parents, only to find that they did not really mean for us to tell the truth all the time. In far too many cases, children are punished in circumstances where they respond with honesty to a question posed by an adult authority figure. It is impressed on their consciousness early on, then, that telling the truth will cause pain. And so they learn that lying is a way to avoid being hurt and hurting others. She continues on, on the next page. Among my siblings, those who learned how to tell polite lies or say what grown-ups wanted to hear were always more popular and more rewarded than those who told the truth. So I kind of just wanted to talk about this a little bit and how... Lying is, you know, as much as we are taught from when we're little that lying is bad, as we get older, you know, we we practice that, you know, as young children, we're taught lying is bad. Um, and inherently, we tell the truth because you have to get to a particular stage in cognitive development to be able to lie. So... Initially, children are pure, children say what they see, and they're going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. And like Belle said, 
you get kids get to a point where they see the impact that their words have on adults. They see that they may inflict pain or they may have pain inflicted on them in the form of punishment or what have you, you know, whatever results they see from that action. So as a result, you know, they get to a point where they're able to lie to avoid punishment or to avoid whatever reaction from the adult that they are, you know, not trying to have happen. And as they get older, they see that lying to an extent will give them the result that they want. And although they are taught that lying is bad, they get to the point also where even their parents might say, yes, lying is bad, but, and then give like type of exceptions that maybe are more acceptable. But ultimately, what this brings about in terms of behavior is a lack of transparency, a lack of complete honesty that impacts children way into adulthood. And it contributes to strategies of, you know, trying to manipulate one another when it comes to men and women and how, or people in general, with how we interact with each other. True, unfiltered honesty is encountered less and less because of the outcomes that are found. You know, if we're completely true, honest, transparent with each other, judgment ultimately is what folks are avoiding. Consequences that may impact their day-to-day life or how people see them, things like that. That's what people lie to prevent. People also lie to elicit specific behaviors, you know. And she talks further along in the book about how men and women manipulate each other. And this is just not heterosexual relationships. I'm sure this is within homosexual relationships, any type of relationships, you know, where the people that are involved might use manipulation tactics to get what they want or get the behavior that they want from their partner or partners. But at the end of the day, you're not fostering growth of real love because real love requires real honesty and real love requires real vulnerability. And you can't get there if there is dishonesty and a lack of transparency that's in the way. She dives pretty deep into how this affects men, particularly. She talks about how they're not allowed to be honest and true to themselves from when they're young when it comes to expressing their feelings because it's not welcomed and it's very much judged and men are looked to be weak and not tough if they're connected with their emotions in that way. She says on page 38, from the moment little boys are taught they should not cry or express hurt feelings of loneliness or pain, that they must be tough, they are learning how to mask true feelings. In worst case scenarios, they are learning how not to feel anything ever. And she talks more on page 39. Although so many boys are taught to behave as though love does not matter, in their hearts, they yearn for it. That yearning does not go away simply because they become men. Lying, as one form of acting out, is a way they articulate ongoing rage at the failure of love's promise. So with that piece, you know, she's pretty much just saying that men, in their case, are taught to lie about their feelings. They're taught to hide them away. They're taught to mask them because they're not welcomed in society. And they're looked 
down at they're looked as weaker they look they're looked as not strong people if they're in tune with their emotions um and from childhood this message is impressed upon them and um it only will impact them negatively as they become adults you know with their relationship with themselves with their relationship with other people so I feel like what I took from this chapter the most is honesty. You can't have love. You can't have real love without honesty. You can't have real love without vulnerability. And unfortunately, vulnerability and honesty are pieces of ourselves that we have to temper or control. We can't be 100% all the time because of, you know, our environments and because of what we grew up in and the messages that we were given. But, you know, that's where knowledge and self-awareness comes in and reading books like All About Love because you read the words and they resonate and you might find, oh, this applies to me. I'm not necessarily in tuned with how I truly feel. You know, if you're a man, because that's what she focused on in this chapter or this part of the chapter, at least. And it might prompt someone to do some deeper work. Uh, maybe see a therapist or go to a group counseling session or something. That's the hope ultimately, because true connection between people amongst people, you know, and I feel like at the end of the day, that's what we all really want. Um, Human beings are social beings and we thrive and grow with connection to others. And in order to foster true connection, honesty has to be there. Vulnerability has to be there. You know, you have to be able to discern what spaces are safe in order to show that. And I think that comes with just growth and maturity. Not every space is safe. You have to be able to decide what space you can be open in that way. But my hope is for people to be able to find those spaces because you really need to be able to be open with feelings and connect with others to grow. And grow within yourself, grow within a community, grow within a society. Um, It's imperative. And I feel like you can't be a whole person without it. And it's unfortunate that from childhood, we're kind of taught implicitly to put those parts of us away. But, you know, with growth, with maturity, with increase in self-awareness for myself, I have been able to, I may not be able to be fully open and honest and transparent in every space, but I know the spaces where I can be. And that's important. And that's what I wish for folks. Ultimately, you may not always be able to be open and transparent and vulnerable, but my hope is you'll find those spaces where you can be, because that's where you'll find connection and the opportunity to be your whole self. So that's ultimately what I wanted to highlight in chapter three of All About Love. We'll continue this. Um, it probably won't be a consecutive series with episodes, but over you know the rest of the year into next year, we will continue talking about the book amongst other books that I am interested in reading and talking with you guys about. So thank you guys so much. I'm going to end the podcast here. I appreciate y'all listening to my rant about my car. <laughs> Thankfully, no one was hurt and, you know, the damages were superficial um, and I am on the other side.
Much love to you, Ari. Like I said, in the 1% chance that you hear this episode, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. And keep on going. You have people rooting for you. Love you. Love you so much. Yeah, if you listen to the end of this episode, I appreciate you. If you even listen to one minute, I appreciate you so much. And thank you guys for always, you know, pressing play on my episodes and listening and spending time with me. It means the world to me. You guys don't even know. Please share. Please recommend. I've noticed that a lot of people have subscribed to the podcast this month in July. If you're a new subscriber, thank you so much for subscribing and joining the family and joining me on this podcasting journey. I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you for the support. I noticed that I have seen some ratings on Spotify for the podcast. It's currently at five stars with like seven ratings. I saw that last week and I I did not know. I was so beside myself because I always am like rate and review. Um, but sometimes I'm like, do people actually, you know, listen? But people are listening. Um, the podcast is currently at five stars with seven reviews. And the people that decided to review this podcast, thank you so much. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all. Please keep rating and reviewing. Please, you know, share with people who you feel like will enjoy the podcast. Um, Please reach out to me through my social media. Please email me at btbwpodcast at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me. If you want me to, you know, share some things on the podcast based on your email that you want my two cents on, just let me know. What else? That might be it. Um, Yeah. I love you guys. Thank you so much. I will talk to you in the next episode. Okay, bye.